Now, maybe you heard about the guy who fell in love with an opera singer. Ain't that fell in love with an opera singer? You know them opera singers got some good voices. He hardly knew her. Since his only view of the singer was through binoculars from the third balcony. You know, so he in the, like the Fox Theater, he's sitting way up there in the third balcony. It's the only time he'd have seen this lady. But he was convinced he could live happily ever after married to a voice like that. He scarcely noticed she was considerably older than he. Nor did he care that she walked with a limp. Her mezzo-soprano voice would take them through whatever might come. Now, after a whirlwind romance and a hurry-up ceremony, they were off for their honeymoon together. She began to prepare for their first night together. And he sat back, and as he watched, boy, his chin dropped down to his chest. She plucked her eye out and put it in a glass and plopped it into a container on a nightstand. She pulled off her wig, ripped off her false eyelashes, yanked out her dentures, unstrapped her artificial leg, and smiled at him as she slipped off her glasses and hid her hearing aid. Stunned and horrified, he gasped, for goodness sake. He said, woman, sing. Sing, woman, sing. <laughs> if her singing going to get him through, it's going to have to get him through this. Oh. Yo, but isn't it amazing how we can look at a person or a situation or just something that we desire and want it so bad that we'll ignore obvious warnings. We'll see the warning. We'll see the obvious warning signs and we'll just blow right through them. <laughs> we already in the message. Well, we'll create, we'll create in our minds all the scenarios that will, without fail, Make all the possible hazards just work out just fine. That's how we work it out in our mind. We say, it don't matter. All this stuff going to work out just fine. Now, this was a funny little story. But now I'm going to tell you. Now, deception is not funny when you're the person on the receiving end of it. I'm going to tell you. Now, in fact, I would venture to say, there have probably been a good majority of us in this room who at one time or another have fallen victim to the deceit of someone else. Now, I can tell you from my personal life that it isn't a pleasant experience. I've been there. But do you know what's worse than deception? It's self-deception. Now, now, self-deception is defined as the action or practice of allowing oneself to believe that a false or unvalidated feeling, idea, or situation is true. That's what self-deception is. 
It's, and I'll say it one more time. It's defined as the action or practice of allowing oneself, allowing oneself to believe that a false or unvalidated feeling, idea, or situation is true. You allowing, you allowing yourself to feel is true. Now, it may be surprising to some, but it's not as uncommon as you might think. But if we took the time to look for it earnestly, we'd likely find many examples of it in our own lives. For example, here's a, couple, here's a few of them. We may be pretending we still like a job or career when we don't anymore or concealing our disappointment in ourselves for giving up on our dreams and goals. Or you have a spouse or boyfriend who keeps focusing on his partner's faults and ignoring his own issues. Or a dreamer who keeps postponing big plans with excuses about not having enough time or it not being the right time to start. What about the addict who believes their addictions are under control? Here's another one. How about this one? How about the Christian who continues to condemn themselves for failing the same tests but continues in their own self-salvation project expecting a different result. Now, there's a lot of us that do that. That, 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 that. that goes on a lot now. Saints, my concern, my concern is how, how do we as believers get beyond our struggles and start living in the freedom and power of the gospel? How do we get beyond that? You know, if you wasn't here Wednesday night, I meandered around up here and said a few things. And, but the one thing we talked about was, what well, I talked about was how it makes me feel, you know, to see people continue to struggle and fall down and then beat themselves up so bad and, and, and stay in that cycle. I mean, it's, it's a hurtful thing to sit back and watch when you know you've been there yourself and you know that the answers are in Christ. Now, it's one thing to mentally assent to that. It's another thing to receive it in yourself. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, there is no uh, mental acuity that is going to give you the ability to just overcome the challenges in your life. I'm sorry, if you had the willpower, the sheer power to just overcome all your challenges, what you looking for Jesus for? You, don't, you got it, right? You got it. But that's not the case. The thing is, we are rudely awakened to our own faults. I know. I know I can't handle my life on my own, and I'm honest about it. The thing is, can we admit that we are sinners that are dependent solely on the grace and mercy of God, not just for your salvation, but for your life. We're going to take a journey. We as believers have to know and trust the gospel's message. If we do not know, if we don't know it and trust it, if we don't know it and trust it, then how are we going to share it with others and have any faith in its power to deliver? 
This is the year where we're going to be doing service. This is a year of service. And I'm, I'm going to talk about I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But it's imperative for Christians to have an understanding of the pricelessness of the gift they have received and the graciousness of the giver. Now, as we speak the message of the gospel, as we speak right now, the message of the gospel is being distorted and the distortions are being promoted as Christian genre in, in theaters. And the most sad and heartbreaking thing is that many who call themselves believers are so unacquainted and unfamiliar with the authentic gospel of God that they do not even realize what they're hearing is wrong. Let me tell you, I'll, y'all know I told you, I'll be on the internet. A lot of people think the internet is the devil. You know, but I, I watch a lot of, well, I, I love YouTube. I, I don't even turn on my TV sometimes. Sometimes I turn on my TV just to cast YouTube to it, you know? And I, I, so I watch a lot of podcasts and, you know, and I, I deal with a lot of brothers from New York and all that. But let me tell you something, man. Right now, y'all know this weekend, Jay-Z re released this yeah, the book of Clarence. The book of Clarence. Okay. So Clarence got two nice parents. No, no. That's Clarence. This, <laughs> this book of Clarence. Now, I haven't seen the movie, okay? But this is what bothers me. I, I did see an interview with uh, the guy who has the key role and the, the, the brother who wrote it who wrote the uh, screenplay. Now, you do know that the guy who wrote the screenplay and a lot of these New Yorkers that are, you know they five percenters. How many of y'all know what five percenters are? Very few, very few. But when you hear this talk, peace to the gods, peace to the, all the black gods, you gotta know where that's coming from. You gotta know what you're hearing. You know, because that five percenter theology is very heretical. It's not Christian. And if you are projecting images in the theater and you fronting like, you know, you got a Christian message, but it's not, then you're misleading people. And people are so uninformed that they don't know they're being misled. This is why you have to be familiar with the truth. The things that are coming uh, in this day and age, the lies, the, the, all the people who are saying the Messiah's over here, the Messiah's over there, it's happening right now. There are people right now all over the internet and they're misleading people, deceiving people. And, and the thing about it is Christians have to be aware of what is the truth. I asked one Wednesday night in Bible study, you know, just as a, just as a way of um, basically causing some aware of it. And I only asked the question because, you know, I wanted, I wanted all of us to, to it, because I believe if you prayerfully search the scriptures for God's answer, that question, that, if you ask the question, what is the gospel? Y'all remember when I asked that? And I did it like a pop quiz. You know, I said, you know, because I hate pop quizzes. And I, said, I talked about how pastor, she gives, she gonna give them to you. If you're in MIT, she gonna walk in here, you know, you're going to have a, you already had a rough day. You know how it go. You already had a rough day. And, you know, you done been to work and, you know, everybody been hating on you and traffic was bad and you're hungry and you got up to the chicken place. They said they ain't had none. You know, 
<laughs> you running late, you come stumbling here and you sit down, you know, and you, you know, you, you got the grizz on your face and she walk in, take out a pencil and paper or take out a pen and paper. And you like, Lord, have mercy, why now? But I put it in the form of a pop quiz and I said, I wanted you to ask yourself, answer it in your own mind. What is the gospel? And I only ask the question because I believe if you prayerfully search the scriptures for God's answer to that question, then you cannot remain the same. Seriously. It's not that you're going to transform yourself. But what you will discover during your time of research is an elevated level of gratitude for what God has done. When you start researching that point, you start seeing that there's things God has done that I may have underappreciated. Change will take place on the inside of you, which in, change will take place on the inside of you, which inevitably gets reflected in your behavior on the outside. Remember, a transformed heart will produce changed behavior. People looking at you don't make some changes in their life, but there ain't nothing happening on the inside of you. We cannot sustain authentic change when our hearts do not desire it. Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10, you don't have to go there. You can write it down, Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10 states, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Now, Jesus said, this is Jesus, and Jesus, when speaking to people who are all well-intentioned, these were disciples sitting around him. This wasn't just some bunch of Pharisees and Sadducees. Jesus said to people who were all well-intentioned, he says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, you can write that down. Matthew, 7, chap uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. He said, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now, we focus on him saying, how much more will I give the good things? He called them evil. Did you hear that? These were disciples because he's speaking about the heart of men, okay? We think, I don't know, I think people get the idea that, you know, when you're out there in the world, that you're just a little bit sick, that you got like a little minor illness going on, that, you know, you got some symptoms that are leading toward death. No. The Bible said you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You've you been to funerals. They ain't no dead folk doing nothing for themselves to get themselves out of their situation. If dead folks is, is getting their own selves out of their own situation and animating and rising to life, then why the cemetery still so full? Why the morgues got all them bodies? Dead men can do nothing on their own. You can do nothing without Jesus. Let me keep going. I'm getting ahead of myself here. So Jesus said he called them evil. The problem with sinful man 
is a heart issue. It's a heart issue. There are some other things, you know, and we'll cover those too. But he, man in his unregenerate state, does not desire God, neither does he even want him in his thinking. Y'all heard me say that before. People do not choose the things that they do not desire. If you don't desire it, you ain't choosing it. You don't want something. I mean, you, you ain't out here just taking on stuff that you don't want. If you don't want it, you ain't focusing on it. You ain't got your mind on it. You don't desire it. In fact, <clears throat> Romans 8, 7 says it this way. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Now, I want you to hear that. It didn't say that the heart set on flesh doesn't have, it, it may not. It didn't say that the heart set on flesh is, you know, just choosing something because, eh. No. It said it cannot. May, you all remember, heard me say may not means permission. It didn't say the heart is not permitted. It, did, it said it can't. The ability is not there for a man to just desire or choose God on his own. It ain't in you. It's not. This is why I, I'm so hard on Christians for being so hard on themselves. And y'all heard me say this before. Look where you at. You think you got here today on your own. That, that desire to come here and to hear a word of God, did you give God thanks for that? Or you think you stirred that up on your own? Oh, you don't recognize the work of the Spirit already in you. Say, gratitude. So it says he cannot. We see God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, saying, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now, I want to look at six things. I, I have a, six things. Since we're going out, this is the year of service. So if this is the year of service and we're going to be ministering to people, we're going to be doing outreach and things like that, it is imperative that we know the essentials of the gospel. You ain't got to know all the deep theological stuff. But there are six things that are essential. And these are six things that if you ain't hearing it, when people are telling you, you know, about the message, and listen, I'm not, tell, I'm not saying up here insulting your intelligence, okay? I'm sitting up here speaking about this because this changed my life, okay? This changed my entire life. Man, y'all didn't, y'all, let me tell you, I was one of the worst people on the planet. It amazes me that I am saved, that God saved me, made me the man I was to my wife, my family, and all that. The guy you see standing before you is a guy that's amazed that he's saved because I know I didn't deserve it. If there's anybody that deserved a bus hell wide open, it's me. Why would he save somebody like me? And that amazes me. That it wasn't about my whole life situation. It wasn't about the stuff I was doing. I was basing it on, I was looking at my life and saying, 
My life is not worthy of God saving me. That's how I was looking at it. But God said, I love you. And there's nothing you can do to motivate me to love you. There's nothing you can do to make me stop loving you. There's nothing you did to make me love you. I loved you before you was you. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. The only reason you hear me talk about the gospel is because there's power. People are looking for power everywhere. Everywhere. People are looking for power except where it is. You got to, if you're going to be looking for power, why are you looking everywhere except where the power of God is? Paul said that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Problem is we just stop right there. We just, we just think it's, you know, get saved and go on about our business. So we see God speaking through Ezekiel. We heard what he had to say. Now I want to focus on six things. I want to focus on six things that are essential to the gospel. And these six things, if you're not hearing them, if you're not hearing them, you're not hearing the gospel. People who are talking about all this stuff, you know, that God's going to do for them and all these other things, you know, or... They might have half of the message. These are the six essential things. Number one, number one, the gospel, this is the number one thing to remember. The gospel was a plan, okay? It was a plan. Ephesians, go to Ephesians chapter one. We're going to go there. Ephesians chapter one, verses four through seven. When you get there, say amen. I only heard one or two of y'all. So when you get there, say amen. All right, that's more of y'all. All right, so it says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love, and in some translations, you know, the in love is on one side, in one verse, on starts in the other verse. Just strange. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. In John chapter 17, verse 24, Jesus says this. John chapter 17, verse 24, Jesus says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So the message of the gospel speaks of God's plan from eternity past to give those who he has called to salvation as a love gift to his son before he even created men. The, go the gospel is a plan. It's not a haphazard idea. It's not 
something that God just said, oh, Adam and them sinned. Oops, look at that. Man, we got to fix this up. He's not just stumbling in the dark. It says that before the foundation of the world, he chose you in him. So before he said, let there be light, let there be man, he said, let there be my love and a plan for you. He's already said, Jesus, I'm going to give these people to you as a love gift. And Jesus says, I want them to be with me. And he also goes on in John that said, he's not going to lose any that the Father gives him. He said, all those you give me, I shall not lose none. Oh, you see, we look at our life, you know, as, as it is, and we think because we stumble and have problems and stumble and have problems that God's going to give up on us. What kind of God y'all think y'all serve? You know the God you serve? Do you know he knows everything perfectly? He's omniscient. That means something. Okay, so how are you going to be omniscient? You didn't know I was going to sin today? You didn't know I was going to make that mistake yesterday? When you said you saved me? You think your salvation is dependent on your works and not what Christ worked out. He died once for all. You got to get your believer working. He died once for all. He's not being crucified again. So somebody got to start trusting. Somebody got to start trusting. We're going to keep going. I'm only on number one. I won't stay there. I'm on number one. <laughs> Lord. All right, number two. Write this down. The gospel is a event. The gospel is an event. 1 Corinthians 15 states this. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas. Let me calm down. Let me get my voice down. Then to the twelve. Sorry for screaming at y'all. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom all, most of whom are still alive. They were still alive at this time. Though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Then Paul said, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Now here we see the apostle says that Christ died according to the scriptures. It was an event that was prophesied by the Old Testament. Prophets but prophesied by the Old Testament prophets and came to pass and has been validated historically. It happened. Different from all these other crazy mythological stories we hear around the world, the fact that Christ died and has risen is an event that will never be erased from the annals of history. Never. It will live in infamy. It's, well, people will always know it because it's recorded in time and eternity. Number three, 
The gospel, it is an achievement. It is an achievement. So what did Christ achieve? Well, I'm glad you asked me. In John chapter 1, verse 29, I'm going to go through this, quite a few scriptures here. Y'all just might want to write them down. In John 1, 29, John the Baptist calls Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus takes away, or as it's called in, in theological terms, he expiates our sins. Expiate is spelled E-X-P-I-A-T-E-S. E-X-P-I-A-T-E-S. <laughs> expiates our sins. He also became a propitiation for our sin. Now, whereas expiation refers to the removal of our sins, Propitiation refers to the removal of God's wrath by dying in our place for our sins. Christ removed the wrath of God that we justly deserved. That's the part that a lot of people miss. Man, there's so many people got saved just reading one book by uh, uh, Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. That, is a, that book right there, they said that book used to terrify people. People used to, when he would preach it, People would leave the church screaming, scared to death, because he talked about the wrath of God that comes upon all sinners and how you in this lifetime don't realize that God has you in one hand and you are dangling from a thin, thin thread over hell's fiery pit. And you are a sinner, hostile to the God that's holding you there, a sinner in the hand of an angry God. Oh, that's a powerful sermon. And it makes you realize that as a sinner, the wages of sin are death. And wrath comes upon all that sin. So Christ, his achievement was he removed the wrath of God. He removed, he, he removed God's wrath. By dying in our place for our sins, Christ removed the wrath of God that we justly deserve. Hebrews 2.17 says, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 17 says that Christ made propitiation for the sins of the people. And 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says, in this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Another achievement, I'm just listing achievements, another achievement is reconciliation. Whereas expiation, that was the first one we covered, refers to the removal of sins, and propitiation refers to the removal of God's wrath, reconciliation refers to the removal of our alienation from God. In Romans chapter 5, 10 through 11, says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Redemption is another achievement. Now, there are three things we had to be released from in redemption. The curse of the law, the guilt of sin, and the power of sin. Christ redeemed us from each of these Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, says Galatians chapter 3, 13 through 14. Romans chapter 3, uh, 24, I told you going through a lot of scripture. Romans chapter 3, verse 24 says, Christ redeemed us from the guilt of our sin. We are justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Christ redeemed us from the power of sin, knowing that you, here's a scripture, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your fathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. That's 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Another achievement was the defeat of the powers of darkness. Colossians chapter 3.15 says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Speaking of God, how he triumphed over them through Christ. And one major achievement, one I, I definitely appreciate, is that he did all of this all the things I previously mentioned, he did all of this by dying as our substitute. This is what it means that Christ died for us in Romans 5.8. And he gave himself for us in Galatians 2.20. As Isaiah says, he was pierced through for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. That's Isaiah 53 verses 5 through 6. So the gospel is an achievement. Number four, it is a free offer. The sincere free offer of the gospel is God's revealed, loving, and gracious will that gospel hearers should receive salvation as it is offered in Christ by the gospel. Scripture says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in him that the world might be saved through him. Okay? Moving on to number five. Number five is application. The application. We apply all the previous achievements by faith. God did something amazing in history for us. Before we had any sense or taste of it. And now, by faith, I'm forgiven. Now, by faith, I'm justified. Faith is the means by which we lay hold of Christ. It is the means by which the righteousness of Christ is bestowed upon us. And, and that's an essential part of the gospel. If those things don't happen, if you don't apply faith, if you don't have trust that you're forgiven, if you don't have trust in justification, then the rest doesn't, I mean, do you really have salvation? 
If those things don't happen to me, there's no good news at all. So there's the application of the achievement. Now, that's where we usually stop. And this is my concern, my own personal concern, my own personal concern about is about like the fullness of the message, you know? I know some of you already get this. I, I know that. But if we stop at forgiveness, just stop at forgiveness and say to, to the world, we have good news for you. God made a plan and sent his only son, Jesus Christ, who died for your forgiveness, and your forgiveness was achieved, and it's offered freely. Just take it by faith. Okay, I don't see no lies. I don't detect no lies right there in that statement. It just feels a little incomplete. You know you'll get some folks, you know, after that brief statement, they'll, they'll just give you a shoulder shrug. You know. Okay, bro, yeah, I hear you. I've heard that before, you know. Others, you know, they may say to themselves, well, I don't like having a guilty conscience or I, I don't like the whole idea of going to hell, okay. So, I, I, you know, I believe you. Or, yeah, my family might be better if I was a more forgiving person. Or they'll say that is, you know, they'll say that instead of saying what First Peter says. Turn to First Peter 3.18. Oh, I want you all to see this one. First Peter, chapter 3, verse 18. When you're there, say amen. Now listen to this. It says, for Christ also suffered once for sins. I said that earlier. The righteous for the unrighteous. But he tells you why. That he might bring us to God. Did you hear that? We, we think that the end game is we get saved and it stops right there. But you don't see what God's working on, do you? It wasn't just so you can, you know, come to church and practice some religious practices. But Christ died for you, suffered for you, the righteous, him, for the unrighteous, me, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Now, I love the way that the New Living Translation reads this. I really think it, it communicates it the best. I've read, read the New Living Translation. Now, listen how the New Living Translation says it. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned. But he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He died not just, see, bringing you safely home is different than just saying, I'm bringing you home. If I say, uh, Tori, I need you to bring Brother Cody to church, you know? He say, okay, all right, I'll bring you. Now listen, there's some perils along the way. I need you to bring him safely to the church. Toy might grab his gat and everything and say, okay, I'm on the way. Okay? That means if he's bringing you home safely, he's protecting you from all the perils along the way. You think all them trials and pitfalls is meant to kill you? No. 
He's bringing you safely home. He's the one that's bringing you. You're not bringing yourself. He did not save you to leave you. He saved you to bring you to God. The Father is the one that sent the Son. His love for you is the one that moved Christ to come and get you. And he's not only coming to get you, but he's making sure that the way to get there is safe. That you are protected from the perils. No matter what happens to you physically, they cannot kill you. Death has no more reign over you. This is not your home. I tell y'all that all the time. You, if you lived 150 years, that is just a blink in the eye of eternity. That's no time. Life is fleeting. You're not going to be here forever. You are passing through here like a pilgrim moving to his home. You just moving through this place. Now, where, this is the, if you go on and read, and we'll read on, but God has already set your destination. For the believer, your destination is set. And you're not traveling alone. All right? But for the unregenerated, they might be walking right beside you. And you going one way, and they going the other way. And, 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 and they, might, they might be out here giving words of knowledge. They might be out here testifying, doing a lot of things. They ain't got no relationship with Jesus, and that's a problem. Jesus said, because there's going to be people, Lord, Lord. Did I not prophesy in your name and do all this? Lord, I spoke the name of Jesus. I called, then I cry out your name. And he's going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. For I don't know you. You don't have no relationship with me. I don't know you. You out there throwing my name around like you know me. You don't know me. You are after your father, the Satan, the devil. That's who you know. Matter of fact, go see him. <laughs> Quickly. <laughs> You're going to fall like lightning from there. <laughs> I'm trying to tell you. But first Peter reads, and, and, a new, and I don't know the way the, the New Living Translation uh, translated that. Now, let me talk about this for a moment. Because Christ, well, I'll read this part, then I'll talk about my personal situation. He, he suffered physical death. But he was raised to life in the spirit. Saints, hear me. Y'all hear me loud and clear on this one. You will never, 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 ever get to a point where you outgrow the gospel. If, if you done got there, you in a bad, bad place. You will never at any time in your life get to a place where you out grow the gospel, and no longer have a need for it. Now, let me tell you about me personally. Y'all know when I lost my wife, that was one of the darkest times of my life. To have somebody that you devote almost four decades of your life to and love them, your partner, your best friend, and you lose them. Let me tell you something. 
Grief, now there's some of y'all dealing with things worse than grief in here. There's some of y'all dealing with some things that are a lot more work, that are a lot worse than that. Health conditions, all kind of stuff. You're dealing with some things. But let me tell you what helped me. It was the gospel that gave me, that gave me light in my darkest place. I'll tell you the scripture that blessed me. Now, and, and I'm going to tell you something. It might be something different for you, but this is what it was for me. And I know it's First Thessalonians. I got to find my scripture in here. There it is. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. This is the New Living Test Testament. Again, the New Living Translation. I'm, I'm reading this from. It says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to believers who have died. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. And there it is. Just as good as pure gospel gold. That strip scripture gave me peace. That scripture gave me peace in a very dark place. And because it spoke to me, it said, it said to me, hey, you know your wife is a believer. All right? And the whole thing about it is when I lost her, and I know it, this is going to sound stupid, you know, I felt like she left me, you know, because me and her always had this commitment to each other that, nah, we ain't, I ain't going nowhere, you ain't going nowhere, you know, and I fought hard to make sure she ain't going nowhere. So when, when she left, I felt like, oh, you left me here. I always thought I should be the one to leave first. Pastor was like, he was, Pastor was always like, daddy, she wouldn't have been able to take it, you know, if you would have, if you would have passed. You know, I, she don't know I ain't much stronger than her. You know, <laughs> I said I ain't much stronger than her. But this scripture let me know that there's coming a time where we are going to celebrate in the presence of the Lord together. And that is is how the gospel spoke to me. There is truth in this scripture that speaks to all of us. That's perfectly fitted. For, and timely for all our different situations. That's why this Bible is, man, look at this thing. That's why it's so thick. That's why this Bible is so thick. Because we got so many problems. We got so many issues. There are a million solutions. There's a bunch of different problem-solving solutions in that book. But you have to, you have to open it at least. 
And you have to trust that God is going to speak to you. It's because we have so many different needs, and there's a million places where the gospel is unfolded for you. So if you immerse yourself in the whole book, always looking with an eye toward Christ and what he's done and purchased for you in this thick, marvelous history of God's interaction, he'll give you what you need too. He will. When you have in your when you're having a serious issue and you're praying, open your Bible. Ask God to give you a word. How y'all think, I'm going to tell you something. How y'all think these, these, these sermons come about? I'm just speaking to my MIT people now. How y'all think these sermons come about? How y'all think pastor write these things? It comes through prayer, and it comes through opening that word and asking God to show me something. And that's what he does. He's like, you have to understand, instead of searching for some will within you to overcome the thing you're struggling with, the power, let me tell you something. If you thinking that you're going to do some kind of sheer will power thing to get over what you're struggling with, the power will never be there when you need it. It will never be there when you need it. But if you're counting on God to get you through it and you're trusting on the power of his word, that power will be there every time you need to call on it. Every time. He and we were sick. They was up here singing the song. He won't fail. Okay. Did you hear him when they were singing it earlier? It didn't sound that good, did it? <laughs> That's why I stay in my lane. I let them do what they do. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that the power, when you need it, it's going, it's, it will be there. But you, it's here. And so the gospel's not something that you just get saved and, and don't use it. You know, now I got it. I'm strong enough on my own. I'm confident enough. And now I don't need God's direction anymore. I can make it from here. That's the start of the fall. I'm going to tell you, man, now you you looking at a guy with drug addict, you know, did all kind of dirt, you know, all kind of, turned 18 in jail, you know, did a lot of dirt, okay? But God, woo, but God, when he saved me, and now I understand, because in, in times of my life where I was in the deepest den, that's when the power of God Brought me out. I told you all about Wednesday night, about how God showed me or revealed to me the message of his love and how I was in his way of really doing what he wanted to do because I was, you know, like facilitating support groups. And God was like, because I was mad at God and struggling because people wasn't getting it and they was falling away. And I was like, why these people ain't getting it? What is going on? And God was like, this ain't about you. You don't do this work. If this work is not done by way of the Spirit, it does not get done. God said, if I don't do it, it doesn't get done. It's not something that he's like, it's, you got to get yourself out the way. And when I did, I went from all them empty rooms and people falling away to three rooms full of people. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, okay, now I see. That's why I'm saying Whenever I stand before people, 
and I give this message of the gospel, I don't even stress myself about it. As bad as I want them to get it, as bad as I want them to receive it, as much as I hate to see them struggle and keep falling down and, and, and getting up, we fall down. See, as, much as, I, as much as I see that, and, 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 and hate to see it, and I'm, and I'm crying for them. I know that the spirit of the living God has to awaken them to the fact that the struggle's over. I've given you the power to overcome anything in your life. But you know what, you, got to, you know what has to happen? You can, you can, you can believe in, 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 in the virgin birth. You can believe that Christ died. You can believe in the ascension, the resurrection, and all this. But if you don't believe in believing in that, if you are just mentally attesting to that, then you, you got a real issue. You got to get your believer fixed. Remember that man that said to Jesus, increase my faith. Lord, give me faith. Give me the ability to trust and not just know this stuff. It's one thing to have the knowledge of it. It's another thing to believe it. Because believe happens in here. But you know how it happens? It is revealed to you. Paul said it is revealed in the gospel. Righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. He didn't say righteousness is attested to or understood or mentally, you know, known. No, it's a revelation. That means the spirit of God has to open your heart to it. I'm sorry for yelling. I'm getting a little excited. <laughs> Get a little excited. But I know he said when he says it's revealed, that means that comes from God. This is why salvation is a work of God from the very beginning to the very end. And the first thing we have to do is trust. Faith is a living line of trust between you and God. So I, I didn't say a dead line. It's a living line, which means you have to start believing those things that God says in that scripture. When you open it, there's one thing to know it, but do you believe it? How are you going to walk out here in an outreach and tell somebody about a gospel you don't even believe in? You ain't got no faith in it, but you're expecting God to move in their life in it. You don't trust it at all. I'm looking up. <laughs> no, but this is a real problem. You know, so it's one thing to know all the aspects of it, but you have to ask yourself, do I believe it? And if you do not believe it, you got to confess that before God. You got to be honest about it. If you don't think you have no sin, if you think you so goody, goody, how is, how, what do you need to be saved from? If you have no issues, you ain't no sinner, then salvation, I guess, ain't for you. I know I'm a sinner, and I'm only saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And I know that I only live, move, and have my being in the Lord and Savior. Come on now. I have to trust him for every day, for every move, for the next breath. If God doesn't grant it to me, I don't have it. What do you have that God has not given you? Ask yourself that question. Every good thing comes from him. 
That's even your life. That alarm clock ain't wake you up today, I'm telling you. All right, so he'll give you what you need at the time when you need it. Now, I just, I want to read, um, I want to read this prayer. If y'all, if y'all seen this book before, The Valley of Vision, this is a book of Puritan prayers. You know, they called uh, uh, Charles Hatton Spurgeon one of the last um, powerful, like, ministers of the Puritans. And if y'all don't know who the Puritans are, it's way too involved for me to explain it right now. But I want you to hear, and, and the reason why I like this book, because it helps motivate me, it helps give me some direction in my, in my prayer life. Now, it's written in old Elizabethan language, but I want you to hear the heart of this, of this believer in his prayer. And this is called the gospel way. He said, blessed Lord Jesus, no human mind could conceive or invent the gospel. Acting in eternal grace, thou art both its messenger and its message. Lived out on earth through infinite compassion, applying the life to insult, injury, death, that I might be redeemed, ransomed, freed. Blessed be thou, O Father, for contriving this way. Eternal thanks to thee, O Lamb of God, for opening this way. Praise everlasting to thee, O Holy Spirit, for applying this way to my heart. Glorious Trinity, impress the gospel on my soul until its virtue diffuses every faculty. Let it be heard, acknowledged, professed, and felt. Teach me to secure this mighty blessing. Help me to give up every darling lust, to submit heart and life to its command, to have it in my will, controlling my affections, molding my understanding, to adhere strictly to the rules of true religion, not departing from them in any instance, nor for any advantage in order to escape evil, inconvenience, or danger. Take me to the cross to seek glory from its infamy. Strip me of every pleasing pretense of righteousness by my own doings. O oh, gracious Redeemer, I have, I have neglected thee too long, often crucified thee, crucified thee afresh by my impenitence, put thee to open shame. I thank thee for the patience that has borne with me so long and for the grace that now makes me willing to be thine. Oh, unite me to thyself with inseparable bonds that nothing may ever draw me back from thee, my Lord and my Savior. Amen.